and welcome to the Price of Everything radio show. I'm your host, Tim Price, and joining me this week is Marcus Ashworth, market strategist. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Thank you. So tell us a little about yourself. What have you done? What's your background? What do you do? Uh, at the moment, I'm uh, doing uh, global macro strategy um, and commentary on financial matters, um, which I've been doing on and off over the last 28 years in my career in the city, so I've been everything. 28 years, you don't get that for murder these days. It's very nearly 29, but I'll keep it on the 28. No, indeed. Um, so I, I started off as a bond trader, then as an economist. It's been a brief while on the life floor, waving my hands in the air. Uh, so you've worn the funny jacket? I've worn the funny jacket, confusing everyone, mostly myself. Um, and uh, then, indeed, all different types of, uh, of fixed income, be it derivatives, be it credit, be it rates. Uh, and then I spent uh, some oil in the equity markets, and equity derivatives, convertible bonds out in Asia, principally Tokyo and Hong Kong, and um, again, focusing on sort of the China aspect of things as well, so in the so, last few years. So to, to cut to the bond market specifically, uh, this, is, this is something I struggle with intensely. There is now apparently 11 trillion plus, 11 trillion plus dollars trading with a negative yield mm. and yields throughout the world in government bond territory are, are sort of plateauing or going to new lows. Is that madness or is there, is there method behind what investors are doing there? No, of course it's, mad, it's madness. And I think um, this is a completely abnormal state of affairs. It doesn't mean it can't continue and perpetuate for quite a lot longer um, than most Cassandras, of which there are many. Uh, would reckon. I mean, the, the issue here in the global financial crisis was the money market funds, and it will be again because there's no way they can return anything. They are therefore of no use. Yet they are vast, and they are limited to what they can. One issue in. in the crisis, or the, the sort of the, the, the pre-credit crunch period, was so-called breaking the buck. Correct, exactly that. Buck. So, and this this is by definition there is no way other than to break the buck. But in essence, if you, if, you know, for a bank. If you fund at negative 40, you can invest at negative 30. You know, you're still making a, a modest return effectively. So that's why it can exist uh, and perpetuate. The point is, is that over a longer term, the lack of return and therefore the inability for, for fund managers to charge fees means a breakdown of the construct between how people invest their money and what they do it with, which then can be risky because it will force them into things that yield, which come with credit risk. Because there is a, sorry to interrupt, there's a, there's a phrase, you know, more money is being lost searching for yield than at the point of a gun, and it feels like we're in that kind of territory now. That's an emotive sort of <laughs> Wild West statement, but, I mean, but no, it, it, it's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's the way that um, the central banks of the world are, are, are forcing their, their money markets in order to penalise the long-term saver at the expense of the short-term debtor. So I suppose the, 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 the preeminent question, at least, at least in my mind, is at what stage does this end? Uh, or are we sort of predestined to a very long Japanese-style period of, of torpor? Well, there's one word which the central banks and what have you have been looking for for the last six, seven, eight years. It's inflation, and that, isn't that, it? Well, it's actually growth, but, yeah. you know, by definition, inflation actually, in some senses, in a weird way, higher rates would actually prompt some form of return, which would prompt inflation, which in turn would lead to growth. We're in this nightmare spiral where they're, they're the... the cure is, is actually worse than the ailment that started off. So, let, so let's make your life easy. So let's say you, you are the overarching central banker of all central banks. So you're in complete control. I, I thought Bilderberg <laughs> kept it quiet so, about me. So you're in complete control. What, what, would, what would you do to fix this mess? Is, is this a fixable mess? I think certain economies, principally UK, uh, US, whatever, could actually benefit, ironically, for higher rates. Mm. Um, 
the, the Japanese uh, scenario is what is, is starting to affect all, and that is something whereby um, you know, the banking crisis in Japan from a real estate uh, has perpetuated out for now 25 plus years. And that is the risk we know of Europe. So they have required different solutions to that they have very different problems. And I think Europe in particular, which we, we, we see front and center here, is, is in a situation until it sorts its banking industry out, until it actually finally takes the pain on non-performing loans and the related stuff, which most visibly at the moment is Italy, but it's not just Italy, obviously. You know, Spain managed to get its 50 billion. Uh, the Italians claimed they didn't need it at the time. My lord, they need it now. And we all know the problems of Deutsche Bank is symptomatic of a much wider crisis. The German uh, Landesbank and, and, and indeed uh, Sparkasse, that Europe has a banking problem which it needs to sort out. Rates for the moment have to be kept essentially flat and foreseeably flat. But the reality is banks need to make money and they do that by a positive yield curve. So in essence, they need longer rates, higher than they currently are, and the whole QE or their particular version they have, which is the bond buying, is perpetuating a flattening curve which is therefore extenuating the banking problem. Is, is it fair to trust the bond market to be, you know, to be operating rationally and, and for bond investors to be saying, we think we're in for a prolonged period of deflation? Can those prices and yields be trusted? Because that, I, I would argue they're not really set in a real market. They're, they're manipulated. Correct, because of the QE and the vast amount of money is running around, as you said, searching for a yield, which there is, there is, there is none. So no, you can't. However, for certain shorter-term indications, the bond markets are giving some important signals, um, particularly about growth, and, and by definition, the prospect, therefore, of disinflation and possibly even the deflation. So we have to respect that, but it not to necessarily lead the way out of the, of the, of the maze. Okay. Um, on the topic of, again, of central bank policy, you said that the problem is in the banking system, and that seems to be absolutely, absolutely clear. What can the central banks do? Do we, do we see helicopter money? Well, in essence, they need to stop this ridiculous, particularly in Europe, ridiculous uh, situation where they've, 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 they've bolted all the various stables and prevented it ever happening again before they solve the problem, which is nonsensical. Um, they've, they've boxed themselves in about flexibility, and the merest sort of shock or, or, or event could, could tip the, the European economy into quite a serious spiral. Draghi's done the very best he possibly can. As a central banker, he's been extraordinary, very inventive, and he's had a fight against a very oppressive fiscal regime, should we say, against which his, his, his monetary policy has had a combat with no help at all. In fact, ad adverse uh, from help from the likes of uh, Schäuble and, and, and the rest of the European... So would you, would you go along with the, the concept that central bankers have had to do unthinkable things because there's a policy vacuum where the politicians ought Completely, to be. Yeah, and I think that's, that's well read. But, um, I mean, at least the Americans got their act together, sorted some stuff out. UK have been very aggressive as far as the, you know, the banking system is concerned. And that's recapitalizing the banks. Well, they have to simply allow the banks to be able to do what they are supposed to do. At the moment, uh, they don't wish to lend or loan money because there is no incentive to do so and there is no, no growth in the economy. So it's, it's come a, a vicious spiral for them. So I do think at some point, they have to allow, uh, or, or allow each individual country to take responsibility for its own banking system. State aid, therefore, needs to be put in to finally take these assets off the balance sheet and a proper clear out, which the vulture funds, uh, which did so much money in the States, have been waiting at very patiently for the last 10 years, picking off little deals in Ireland and the odd one in the UK and Germany and Italy. But the vast bulk of, of bad assets have been sat on European banks because they had no requirement to sell them because they can fund almost now at negative rates because of the ECB, why would you allow 
something where you're used to getting an internal rate of return of something in the, in the sort of mid-single figures, when you know it's going to be made into that four or five times return by, a, by a, 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 some form of hedge fund or private equity fund. These banks have been very resistant at handing what they think is free money and their long-term recovery rates to funds. But essentially, someone's got to break the, 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 the logjam and someone has to take the hit to enable the system to start cranking back into action. But Bad assets come off the balance sheet into a temporary holding pattern of, of, of some form of government umbrella scheme and then out into the wide world and, and re recapitalized and revalued and, and, and sourced out, freeing up monies for the banks to get back to the, the box center business. But is there not a problem that, that a lot of that stuff is basically impossible within the strictures of the Eurozone? Completely, and, and what they've persisted in doing is destroying the senior bond, senior bank bond market. So most banks used to fund themselves by issuing FRNs. Uh, floating rate notes. Pardon me, floating rate notes, that LIBOR plus 25, whatever it may be, and off they went. Now they have basically made senior debt junior to what was equivalent para pursuit, therefore equal in, in, in seniority, such as deposits. Uh, and that is a very serious thing because bank debt is no longer as worthy as it was. Therefore, in times of stress, there is no means for the banks to be able to fund themselves uh, in a normal manner. Therefore, they're having to go down the ridiculous route of these contingent convertibles or, or cocos, as they're known, of which, as we know, the Bank of England has stopped to be sold to retail investors, which should tell you something very clearly about the innate risk of these things. And we've, we've touched on the Eurozone, so I, I kind of feel obligated to, to rake over the old coals of Brexit. What's your take on, <laughs> on what's happened there? Well, not a lot. I don't think that uh, anyone really knows what happens next. This may be a false dawn. We may have to plunge into the abyss. But I, I suspect what's happened is that um, we, the, the UK has, has taken the sort of first step, but it's the first move of advantage we will, we will see uh, of moving away from this cathartic, well, you know, this, sorry, probably this, this absolute, Renaissance, some yeah, of us are calling yeah, it. Yeah. Um, Reawakening. Yes, of, of the European Union, which it needs. The European Union needs to learn the lesson which Britain is... Is, is the guinea pig four, which is can it be freed from the, the strictures of a 28-member um, committee to making decisions and where nothing really benefits anyone other than possibly Germany, which has enabled itself to have this wonderful, virtuous world of a overly uh, weak currency and vendor financing the rest of Europe, buying its, its manufacturing goods and beggaring everyone else about it with its productivity miracle. But you know, UK has the strength to, to go on its own if it can make some trade deals, if it can um, be allowed out of the European Union. Well, it seems like this country's queuing up to do trade deals with us. So well, I mean, oh, let's not get too excited, but certainly I think there is, there is, there is optimism there. And I think a lot of people got very maudlin about it all and, and it's slightly ridiculous. And I think there is, with a new government and a new approach, there is a significant chance that you know, UK Inc. can pull together and, and make a much better fist of it. We've got the benefit of a weaker currency, We've got the benefit of being able to alter our interest rates or do whatever we want to do if need be. And uh, though I think it would have been a mistake of the Bank of England to cut rates, at some stage they probably will if they need to. They can do more QE if they need to, uh, though I don't think, again, they, I think the economy is in reasonable shape. We'll probably end up seeing uh, what what's, was a reasonably strong economy having a short-term blip for a couple of quarters or more and hopefully coming out of the traps at the start of next year in a much stronger place. Just to retouch on, on the QE point, could the UK economy survive? Could the housing market survive if, if rates actually went higher rather than lower, do you think? Um, 
as we know, it's not necessarily where the, the Bank of England set their, their, their base rates so much as what is the credit spread that the mortgage companies wish to charge on top of. Um, and obviously, they've all pulled their, uh, their variable rate tracker for, uh, offers at the moment. But the, the five-year and even 10-year market is, is, is amazingly competitive. Mm. Um, what really is the underlying problem in the UK housing market was the mortgage market review, which came through uh, a year or two ago, which has, has stopped the banks in their tracks from making any further t style mistakes. Where they have actually created a real uh, logjam in the system whereby it's very hard to actually get a mortgage. Uh, it takes much longer, there's a much, much wider checking program, and that's made the banks basically say, look, there's no value in this, Nothing, too much risk and, and compliance uh, downside for the actual return we're going to make at these very low rates. So it's, it's more an um, administrative or regulatory issue, and indeed the credit spread than per se exactly where the Bank of England set their, their rates. I mean, I would like to see um, something like the UK be one of the more aggressive ones following the Fed. We, we look back a couple of years ago, People were even talking prospect of the Bank of England going before the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. Now it's at least a year behind, if not, you know, already. Well, we've had huge stimuluses in terms of the currency collapse. Indeed. So, I mean, uh, in some senses, you could, you could argue that maybe... We've had an inflation shock already, or Sterling, Sterling, Sterling has gone too cheap, and therefore we, a, a rate hike might actually be a better, a better way out of the problem. But yeah. then we get the, you know, the Keynesians would go, go pull their hair out, wouldn't they? Like that sort of thing. There's, uh, there's a chap I've started to follow recently, a guy called Ben Hunt uh, in the States at a company, I think it's Salient Partners, and he, um, he, he writes, do you know this guy? He writes really well about, he, he views the market through the prism of, I think, financial history and game theory, and the, his, his, his commentaries, I think, are fantastic. The thing that I, I find really intriguing at the moment is the idea that, I think it's what he calls the common knowledge fallacy. Everyone believes that everyone believes that central banks have got our backs. Uh, what, what happens... J.K. Galbraith had it as yeah, conventional uh, wisdom, indeed. What, what happens when that belief system suddenly starts to fray at the edges? Well, I mean, that... It, it seems to me the that these guys are making it up as they go along. And do you, do you, do you think, for example, we're going to see negative rates in, here in the UK? I can't see... I hope we don't have to see that. Um, and that's, but that, of course, is the ultimate... If, if we do falter after Brexit... That's clearly where Carney is very happy to take us. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I can't see that happening, but you know, another black swan event was to happen, which, which created, a, who knows? But I, I still Trump, think it's Trump highly, uh, highly unlikely. I, don't, I think a Trump victory, like Brexit, will be one of these things which would be far less damaging to the world economy and to the world than a lot of bleeding-heart liberals. But, uh, haven't the narratives yeah. been fascinating, though? So, for example, for, with Brexit, we had, well, you know, if we make this decision and it goes, you know, if you make the wrong decision, the world will end. We'll have nuclear war, you know, Goldman Sachs' profits won't be as high as they were before, et cetera, et cetera. And that et cetera. is serious. And that is, yeah, then, then it starts to get really, really, really quite scary. I mean, we are still the same distance from, you know, Tsingdao and Calais as was the, you know, before June 23rd. And, and I, it doesn't mean we're any less European in the sense it's just that we're not part of this thing called the European Union, mm. which is a a thing which doesn't fit well with the, with the British economy, and therefore, you know, if it's if the exit's handled well, and there's every sign that there are um, good goodwill from the British side, and every sign there's very ill will from the uh, European side by the appointment of uh, Michel Barnier, but plus ça change, as, as, they, say, as they say in Dagenham. So, um, <laughs> and I think uh, Mr. Juncker will eventually be uh, be forced out uh, of having part caused the exit vote anyway yeah. by his reactions, and, and uh, I think uh, we will see how. Uh, um, Madame Merkel will, will handle uh, Merkel will handle this uh, this issue with uh, with the Eurogroup 
taken control over what the European Commission... We're in a world of remarkable monetary stimulus that may or may not be working, and I think at the moment it's not working and hasn't worked for seven or eight years, but let's not, let's not sort of go into the detail. Uh, what do you think about gold? Do you, th do you, think, do you see any merit in the gold bull... Uh, argument. I mean, I'm a self-avowed gold bug. Yes, I, I tend not to think as much about gold as, <laughs> as some. Uh, look, I, I would have definitely have been long gold over the last uh, few months uh, if, if, as an investor, purely as, as a hedge. You'd have made some money out of it, and um, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about the future than some may be. Um, therefore, I, I would be less... I would certainly hold some gold, but I wouldn't be overweighted, should we say. Yeah. And commodities more generally, reflation plays. Do you think we're going to see? Do you think we're going to see some form of inflation in goods and services and real stuff? I mean, there is some signs in China that there is a little bit more demand coming through. Um, you know, the only thing which is which is interesting to watch is the fact that, of course, oil supplies coming back in oil, um, the grid counts up, and that tends to drag the whole commodity complex. Mm. It's very easy to chuck you know, everything along with oil. So I would be selectively picking certain type of commodities. Uh, as being, um, you know, as long as your, your oil view isn't going to cloud that and you have to time it with your oil view, but there's a chance to be along here and, and certain commodities which could do quite nicely, actually. I, I, I do think there's a chance, particularly with China leading the way uh, and, you know, the rest of Europe and, and what have you, perhaps being a little bit less pessimistic than maybe some would be. U.S. growth looks like it's in the mid-twos at the moment, which is, again, that has the... The, the flip effect, which it, they, it drops too much below 2%, and it, it tends to drag it heavily into recession. Mm. Vice versa, if it can sustain above 2 the chance of it then going very strong are pretty high. So, you know, I'm not to get too mad and optimistic here, but um, you know, there is some, some more prospects, I think, for commodity prices to do quite nicely. And I don't think you can really talk about commodities without mentioning China. What, what, do you have a view on China, or what's happening in our economy? Yeah, I do, and I think it's something which is uh, heavily clouded at the moment because, you know, they, they've clamped down on their, on their, their stock market and, um, you know, effectively all exits have been barred, have been barred up. Um, there are many reasons to argue that the, the banking crisis is, is, is almost going to hit at some point, but not quite yet. This is the year and next year of the massive rollover of the municipal uh, debt. They will have to use their own unique style of bailouts um, for that, um, because there is a credit crunch uh, going on with the wealth management products, how the smaller banks lend and, and fund themselves indeed, and how the... Uh, the municipal municipalities which have had this, these vast projects and whatever, how they can roll over their sort of relatively sort of medium-term style debt. Um, there's no way that the Chinese authorities cannot do that. Um, what does that mean for the overall economy? Well, they'll have to keep uh, the whole you know, stick and carrot which they've been doing. They've been clamping down on corruption but making sure there's enough stimulus going through to every time they slightly overdo it on the corruption thing and everyone contracts in. They'll, they'll, they'll chuck in some sort of uh, happy pills. So. If, you, if you had a serious uh, destruction of wealth in China, could that be a black swan? Absolutely, and that is the biggest black swan of all. Uh, and that's why, uh, you know, you look at something like dollar yen or whatever you mean, but you know, it, it's obviously what the renminbi does is, is, is very important. How much the Japanese get away with it will annoy the Chinese, and the Chinese will react accordingly. But the biggest threat, as we saw at the start of this year when they had the Shanghai G20 and... The, the, the pact was done with to make sure that the renminbi was not had forced to devalue. Um, the the knock-on effects of that have been that obviously the Europeans and the Japanese striked very heavily. They, the, the dollar essentially was was being um, affected too much, um, and then that's calmed down now because obviously we had the Fed surprisingly go into sort of mm. no heart rate hikes at all mode, 
um, had the, the material effect on the dollar, uh, they've then calmed things down a bit now. So which, um, which currencies do you like? Well, I still which do you particularly I, dislike? I, I, I still think that uh, the dollar will, will end up doing better. Um, I think the yen probably has seen the worst of it now. Um, worst, of, worst of its own strengthening. Yes, in, indeed. Therefore, I think it, it's set to probably restart its, it, its natural course of work. So that could be, could be good for Japanese equities. Could be excellent for Japanese equities. Our main fundamental long-term bull there. Um, obviously, we've got the, what the Bank of Japan and what... Um, the government is going to do at the moment. It could go either way, but you know, I remain a longer-term positive on that. Uh, and indeed, Chinese equities, therefore, will probably probably end up doing quite well as well because there's, they're not allowed to go down. So at some point, they will they will go up with their own accord, but maybe not quite yet. But um, so, but the dollar, I think, you know, will will reassert itself because you know, at some stage, well, certainly before the end of the year, I think in December, probably not until then, but they will have to hike rates again in the states because, you know. They see a 2.5 GDP print in quarter three, uh, and it looks like quarter four is going to be the similar sort of uh, number. Then you know there is no way that the Fed will, will will be able to avoid that. But they need at least that, I think, to be able to do it. So to be absurdly oversimplistic, would you describe yourself as a bull or a bear at the moment? I, I am more cautiously bullish. Uh, I don't have as much of a problem with, with equities being at all times highs than some people do, because in essence we're talking about bonds. Where else does that money go? Yeah. And I think the economic outlook, in a very simplistic thing, is probably more positive than it is negative. Now, of course, there are a myriad of different you know, catalysts which could alter that rapidly, um, but there's no signs yet of the central banks veering from constant support, which, in essence, makes the, uh, if you can close your eyes, hold your nose, and whatever, you, you know, maintaining a decent equity um, exposure is, is probably going to be the best course of all. Any, any last tips as we wrap up? Uh, don't listen to me. <laughs> what do I know? Uh, no, I mean, the only thing, of course, is to watch oil because that, that is going to be a, a, real, a real catalyst. I, I personally think uh, we haven't seen the benefits yet of the low oil price feed through to the economies. Um, but we finally get that kernel of growth going through. Things, things can be uh, more optimistic. Uh, and that's the only way we'll ever get out the spiral of, of ever lower bond yields. But you know, there are a number of, of very, very serious systemic problems which can tip the markets in, into panic mode at any, any, any point. But you know, the, all the obvious ones, I think, at the moment are, are relatively well flagged, reasonably well controlled. As long as the yen doesn't strengthen too much, as long as renminbi doesn't weaken too much, uh, then I think the rest of the world, um, as long as the European banking system does get some final form of ability to sort itself out, then the rest of the Anglo-Saxon economies are, are in pretty good shape and therefore should outperform. Excellent. That's it for this week. You've been listening to the Price of Everything radio show with me, Tim Price, manager of the VT Price Value Portfolio. Marcus, thank you. If you want to comment on the show, feel free to engage with me on Twitter. My handle is at Tim F. Price. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you on the very next show. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.